The audio at the beginning of this message was not captured. It has been re-recorded. You will notice a slight difference in the audio quality. Thank you for your patience. Grab your Bible or a pew Bible and hold it up. I assure you, you haven't teleported to Lakewood Church, and I'm not Joel Osteen. But hold, uh, hold your Bible up and look around. You hold in your hands, if it's a faithful translation, God's Word, direct communication from God. My dear friends, cherish it. Cherish the faithful preaching of it through which God speaks to and strengthens you. You can put them down. Here's where I'm headed. The Bible is God's word and self-revelation to his people, where he discloses for us who he is and what he has done, is doing, and will do for his people. If we are to know, love, and obey God as he truly is, we need him to communicate with us. Good news, he has. God has spoken. God has revealed himself for us to enjoy, and covenant is central to his revelation. The Bible has two parts, the Old and the New Testaments. Testament is a possible translation of the Greek and Hebrew words diatheke and bereath. However, there is a more precise and suitable translation, covenant, covenant. Every major English Bible translation today uses covenant instead of testament in an overwhelming majority of cases. Furthermore, the word covenant shows up hundreds of times in Scripture as the repeating and unifying theme of both testaments. So, John T. Rhodes is exactly right. Covenant is the theme that links the different books of the Bible to make them one united story blazing through the Old Testament like a firework before exploding into full color in the coming of Christ. So then remember these three interconnected themes, God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign covenants, and God's sovereign grace. You're going to need those. Each uh, is significant to this series. I began the series with God. Sound theology begins with the one triune relational God. But even more, sound theology begins with a sovereign God. A sovereign God. But before preaching God's sovereignty, I thought we should first understand how God reveals himself as the one triune relational God who is absolutely sovereign in all things. Without an authoritative source, we're all just guessing at what God is. God reveals himself through creation. We call that general revelation. But as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, general revelation is not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. General revelation cannot explain for us how to know, love, and obey God. God is loving, and so he went further than general revelation. Therefore, I'd like to address three Uh, questions today, each of which is significant in understanding covenant or Reformed theology. Number one, what is special revelation? Number two, how has God specially revealed himself to his people? And number three, what does it mean for the Bible to be inspired, inerrant, and authoritative? I'll give you the message in a nutshell. It's printed in your 
your uh, bulletin insert. The Bible is God's inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word and special self-revelation given to his people so they can be saved through Christ, reconciled to God, know God intimately as loving Father, and delight in his intra-Trinitarian love now and forever. Number one, what is special revelation? God reveals himself to everyone through creation, but he reveals himself especially or exceptionally and fully to his people through special revelation. Special revelation is God revealing or disclosing himself and the way of salvation to his people. The Belgic Confession clarifies that in special revelation, God makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. And it's wonderful. The, the, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the glory of God and enlivens our hearts to enjoy God through Scripture. Now, the great outdoors are great, truly great, but they can't tell you how to be saved. And how to enjoy God's um, Trinitarian love and fellowship. The woods and the beach just can't take you that far. They can't do that for you. We need more than the great outdoors to behold the glory of God. Late theologian Dr. Robert Raymond expressed how vital this point is. He said this, If we fail to recognize within the Scriptures... Our master's voice speaking his infallible truth to us from his world to our world, we destroy ourselves, not only epistemically, but also personally. For we abandon the only foundation for the certainty of knowledge and the only meaning base by which we may truly know the one infinite personal God and thereby ourselves as persons of dignity and worth. End of quote. I want you to think about that. Our master's voice in sacred scripture is how we know the one triune relational God. It's it's how we know ourselves as well. We cannot rightly know God or ourselves outside of God's special revelation to us. And this makes God's self-revelation in sacred scripture infinitely precious. So precious. Dear brothers and sisters, aren't you grateful that God has revealed himself to you through the gospel of his beloved son? Aren't you grateful? God's son came to earth, perfectly obeyed the law, died a substitutionary death, bore the wrath of God, and rose from the dead to achieve and secure the salvation of God's people, which God planned and assured before the creation of the world. Dear saints, You know and cherish that truth because God lovingly revealed it to you. You never would have known, never, not in a million years would have known and enjoyed God if He had not revealed Himself to you, specially in His Son, sacred Scripture, and the faithful preaching thereof. Scripture and your confidence and delight in Scripture is concrete evidence that God has chosen you and that God deeply loves you. Number two, how has God specially revealed himself to his people? 
And what I hope to do now is to trace how God progressively revealed his redemptive plan and truth to his people and how his son is the apex of his special revelation. I'm, I'm progressing to the apex of Jesus as God's final and definitive word. And then connecting Jesus and the Bible. Let's begin with Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, which is foundational for uh, this message. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So you got that. Many, many years ago, the one triune relational God spoke to his people. He spoke at many different points of history. He spoke using many different methods and means. The author of Hebrews told his Jewish Christian uh, audience that God spoke to our fathers, meaning the old covenant forefathers of the Christian faith. R. Kent Hughes said this, The emphasis here is on the grand diversity of God's speech in the Old Testament. God utilized great devices to instruct his prophets. God spoke to Moses at Sinai in thunder and lightning and with the voice of a trumpet. He whispered to Elijah at Horeb in a still small voice. Ezekiel was informed by visions and Daniel through dreams. God appeared to Abram in human form and to Jacob as an angel. God declared himself by law, by warning, by exhortation, by type, by parable. Notice the contrasts in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago in verse 1 is contrasted with in these last days in verse 2. God spoke to our fathers in verse 1 is contrasted with he has spoken to us in verse 2. And by the prophets in verse 1 is contrasted with by his son in verse 2. There is also the contrast between at many times and in many ways in verse 1 and the inference of the son being the final and definitive word of God in verse 2. All of this shows the supremacy of Jesus Christ as God's final and definitive word. One scholar said, the son speaks as the prophets did, but speaks as the son whose revelation is final. I like how R. Kent Hughes put it, Jesus is God's final word. So let's travel to long ago and see how God revealed himself to his people. And so let's begin at the beginning. Uh, God created Adam and put him in the garden and, and put him there to work it and keep it. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, recount this. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There it is. God, God created Adam And then specially revealed himself to Adam. And that's how Adam knew God. Advanced to Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned. Verses 8 and 9 say this. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Notice two things there. Number one, the Lord was walking in the garden, which could be very, uh, very well could be the first theophany that we encounter in the Bible. A theophany is when the invisible, incorporeal God makes himself visible to humans. 
Adam and Eve likely saw a visible manifestation of God. Number two, God spoke directly to Adam with words that Adam could understand. Now, there are many more examples in Scripture of theophanies and direct conversations with God in the Old Covenant. All of them were God's special revelation. Abraham. Abraham is central to covenant theology. Understanding Abraham helps you understand all of Scripture. God came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and told him directly to leave his country and to go to a God-ordained land. Later in Genesis 12, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Genesis 15:1 says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. A few verses later, Abraham fell asleep and the Lord spoke to him in a dream. Direct communication, appearances, visions, dreams, all God's special revelation in the Old Covenant. Consider Moses. Not only did God reveal himself to a cumulative hundreds of thousands of people at the time of Moses through the angel, the burning bush, and the pillar of cloud and fire, but the Lord spoke directly to Moses and through Moses to his people. And, and Exodus 33, uh, 11, which we'll get to in a bit, is evidence of that. So when you see um, Genesis through Deuteronomy is chock full of God's special revelation to Israel, uh, to his people, to the church. And, and then um, in Exodus through Deuteronomy, through Moses, the prophet to, to his people. Note Exodus 33, verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Uh, atheism just becomes absurd when you're speaking with God face to face. Keep in mind Exodus was written by a man who spoke with God face to face. And hundreds of thousands of people could validate Moses' testimony when he wrote the book. Numbers 12 is fascinating. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle and spoke directly to Aaron and Miriam. In verses 6 through 8, the Lord said to Aaron and Miriam, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Consider all the other prophets of the Old Testament, Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Malachi, to name a few. They wrote things like this, then the word of the Lord came to, or now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, or thus says the Lord God. God spoke directly to the prophets. And the prophet spoke God's word directly to God's people. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And God told his chosen prophets to write his word down. In Isaiah 30, verse 8, the Lord commanded Isaiah directly, and now... Go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. The Lord said in Jeremiah 25, 13, I will bring upon the land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book which Jeremiah prophesied against the nations. 
Ezekiel prophesied, writing this, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, write down the name of this day, this very day, the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem this very day. There are other examples that we could turn to, but God was progressively revealing his redemptive plan to his people through his chosen prophets. New revelations built on previous revelations, all of which moved towards one final and definitive revelation, the Son of God, who is the Word of God in human flesh. Again, Dr. Robert Raymond is spot on. Listen closely. Throughout this period of kingdom disruption, a very evident process of inscripturation of the divine Word was also taking place. Each biblical book of this period, so inscripturated, becoming a covenant or kingdom document given to the people of God in the history of redemption with later prophets, often recognizing earlier prophets' writings as speaking with absolute authority and citing them as the word of God. Understand this, church. God's special revelation is progressive revelation and climaxes in Christ and the apostolic testimony written about Christ. Don't, don't, don't make the terrible mistake of disregarding the Old Testament for faith and life. The Old and New Testaments are one united, beautiful story. God has unfolded His redemptive plan progressively from Genesis to Revelation. All of it is essential. All of it is precious. And we need all of it to know and love and obey God. The New Testament must be studied and understood in light of all that led up to it. And the New Testament provides light in how to study and understand the Old Testament. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Oh, the preciousness of Jesus, the final and definitive Word of God given to us, His people. Heidelberg Catechism, question 31, asks about Jesus. Why is He called Christ? That is anointed, to which it answers like this, because he has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our, I love this, chief prophet and teacher, who has fully revealed, not partially, fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our redemption. Amen. That's good stuff. And that is very, very important to understand. Jesus is God's full revelation. He's better than types and shadows. He's God's son and God's final word. Jesus is the, the completion of progressive revelation and completes and illumines the revelation of previous prophets. And, and so by coming to Jesus Christ as preeminent prophet, the source of our truth, and receiving the fullness of God's special revelation in him, we know God, and we experience His intra-Trinitarian love and fellowship. Jesus is the most personal and direct revelation of God's glory, grace, truth, and love, and we know God through Christ alone. 
Now we may ask, if Jesus is the final and definitive word, what about the apostles writing Scripture? What's up with that? Well, consider Luke 9, 1, 2, and 6, where Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Consider John 14, 25 and 26, where Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Do you understand what's happening here? Consider John 16, 12 and 13, where Jesus also told his apostles, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Do you understand what is happening? Consider his high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. John 17, 20, Jesus prayed for us. Does that comfort you? How were we going to receive the word of Christ and believe in Christ? Well, Jesus made sure of it. He made sure of it by commissioning and overseeing the inscripturation of the apostolic witness so that we would hear through preaching. Jesus returned to the Father. The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit worked in the apostles so that the Scripture would be produced. And now we have the final word of Christ in print. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. In 2 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter mentioned Paul's various letters and, and then concluded that they were Scripture. So the Apostles recognized each other's writings as God's authoritative word. The one triune relational God ensures that the gospel would be preserved in print so people in future generations, and, and brothers and sisters, that includes us, that includes us, that we would be saved by it, saved by the declaration of the written word. One study note said this, since God has spoken finally and fully in the Son, and since the New Testament fully reports and interprets this supreme revelation once the New Testament is written, the canon of Scripture is complete. No new books are needed to explain what God has done through His Son, end of quote. Jesus chose a few men to witness his life, death, resurrection, and teaching ministry. He gave them authority and unique positions of ministry. He made them the foundation of the church, and he appointed and authorized them to inscripturate the, doc, the, the gospel. Therefore, every single letter of the Bible is read. Read and carries the power the authority, the majesty, and the beauty of the supreme Christ who is the final and definitive word of God. 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see, we can actually see and hear and adore God in the text. Can, can you and I, this is such a relevant question for you and me today, and so confused in, in the Church of America, can you and I know God as He truly is, and can we hear from Him today? Beloved saints, yes, yes. You and I can know and hear from God today. God reveals himself to us in Scripture and the faithful preaching thereof. Sadly, many people in the church today belittle God's word and belittle preaching and search out mystical experiences apart from God's ordinary means of grace in order to hear from and know God. They're, they're looking for lights and camera and action. They're looking for something mystical out there apart from God's word in order to know and hear from God. Well, well why? God has chosen to reveal himself fully and powerfully and beautifully in his preeminent anointed prophet and son and to reveal his precious son to his people by his spirit through his word. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know the will of God for your life? Then, as Kevin DeYoung would say, don't trust dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, casting lots, liver shivers, or writings in the sky. Simply follow the Holy Spirit to Holy Scripture and believe it with all your heart. And delight in God's direct, special revelation as the Spirit teaches and guides you. Beloved children of God, you absolutely can know the will of your loving Father for you. And it's right there in front of you in His Word. That's His will for you. Know it. Cherish it. Love it. And you will know God when you trust it, follow the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember this name, Heinrich Bullinger. Okay? I want you to remember that name. Bullinger is considered the most influential second-generation reformer. He was more prolific in writing than Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli combined. Bullinger wrote in his second Helvetic confession, Wherefore, when this word of God is now preached in the church by preachers lawfully called, we believe that the very word of God is proclaimed and received by the faithful and that neither any other word of God is to be invented nor is to be expected from heaven, and that now the word itself which is preached is to be regarded, not the minister that preaches. For even if he be evil and a sinner, nevertheless the word of God remains still true and good. Thank you, Bullinger. That is so helpful for today. People are whacked out with this kind of stuff. That's clear. That I can get behind. Now, we've heard a lot of crazy stories of people hearing directly from God outside of Scripture. Sometimes they end in homicide. Listen closely. No mystical experience or supernatural encounter can give you anything God's Word enlivened by God's Spirit and received by faith does not already give you. Trust Scripture and the Spirit's leading through it. Why, why do so many professing Christians ignore God's direct and special revelation in Scripture while searching for an encounter with God through some mystical religious experience? 
God is right there in the text. But they pay him no mind as they search for something other than what he has graciously provided them. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so when we look back, we see some of those stories and we're like, fascinating. How awesome that would be. Um, his son is awesome. His son has spoken. For, for you young people, I, this isn't in the notes. This is just for the young people. He dropped the mic. Okay? That's for any, anybody under 25. The son is superior. Visions, dreams, mystical experiences cannot compare to the son who reveals himself to us in glory and beauty and power in Scripture. Oh, how precious is God's word. Long to see God in Scripture. I'll conclude with, with this essential question. Number three, what does it mean for the Bible to be inspired, inerrant, and authoritative? What, what, is that, what do those words mean? So here's a quick review of my logic, and then I'll get to the words. The one triune relational God exists and has created all things. And because he is loving and because he is relational, he has chosen to reveal himself in a special way to his people in order for them to know, love, and obey him. For God's people today, God's special revelation is his written word. The Bible is the beautiful revelation of God through which, by the power and illumination of the Holy Spirit, we can know and love and obey God. That's very exciting. And, and through the Bible, God reveals to us His sovereignty, and He goes further to reveal to us His sovereign plan and His sovereign covenants and His sovereign grace. Covenants sovereign, sovereignly administered is how God has chosen to relate to us. It's his terms, not ours. And that's where I'm headed, ultimately. Is the Bible the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God? Inspiration, inerrancy, and the authority of Scripture are central doctrines to the Christian life and faith and central doctrines to Reformed theology. With unwavering confidence, Reformed theology says that God's word indeed is inspired, inerrant, and authoritative. The authoritative rule for faith and life. What does it mean to say the Bible is inspired? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 aptly answers all Scripture. And there, Scripture most fully refers to Old and New Testaments. All Scripture is breathed out by God, which is why Paul added to that the practical application of why that's important and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Using human writers, God breathed out the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. That's what inspired means. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 advanced the idea of Scripture's divine inspiration. Peter wrote this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, if the one triune, relational, holy, and perfect God breathed out Scripture, then what does that say about Scripture? 
So we ask next, what does it mean to say the Bible is inerrant? Simply put, inerrant means the Bible is without error. The Bible contains no errors. It is entirely true. Well, of course it is. It was breathed out by God. It was breathed out by God. Psalm 119, verses 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. Scripture says that it is impossible for God to lie. And Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The word of our God will stand forever. Jesus prayed to God, Your word is truth. Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken. Now, inerrancy doesn't mean that all Bible translations are good. They're not. There are some really bad Bible translations. Uh, but the original Greek and Hebrew texts were inerrant. And our manuscript copy evidence is so sound and so compelling that to the degree we accurately translate the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, we have the very Word of God in English. Amazing. In print, we can know God through our English Bibles. We can trust what we read and hear because the Holy Spirit is at work through the Word. When, when God breathes out His Word, it contains no errors. It, it, of course, is authoritative for our lives. What does it mean to say the Bible is authoritative it means that God's Word is the final authority on everything. Everything. It is the authority. We must believe it and we must heed it without question. Now, the intellectuals here know our confidence in Scripture is not blind. Believe it at all costs um, and, and have no idea why. And it's not lacking conclusive evidence. There is so much evidence authenticating the reliability and authority of Scripture that a lifetime could not exhaust it. So it's not for a lack of evidence, and it's not blind faith. We believe Scripture and cherish Scripture because it is so clearly from God. That's why. The Belgic Confession says it very well. We believe that those holy Scriptures fully contain the will of God, and that whatsoever man ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. Now, why does this matter? Let's try to pull all of this together and say, who cares? All right? Now, I hope you know the answer to that, and that I don't have to, but uh, try to be a little helpful here. Just remember what Jesus said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, you and I know, we got to eat. We got to eat. Uh, but Jesus realized that even he needed more than food to eat. We must live by God's inspired, inerrant, and authoritative word. You need to eat. God's Word more than you need to eat your next 100 meals. And if you do the math, you're not living anymore. I think. I don't know. Maybe I should have said 6,000 meals. The point is, man, this what's happening right now is more important to you than lunch and breakfast for the next 12 years of your life. You should rather love God's Word and the preaching of His Word more than you love staying alive. 
cherish God's gift of special revelation. I think that's like a fine application, isn't it? Cherish it. Cherish faithful preaching through which God feeds you and strengthens you and loves you and encourages you. Cherish God's intra-Trinitarian love lavished on you through Scripture and faithful exposition of it. Eat it up until you are fat and happy in God. Sola Scriptura, it's not just a reform slogan. It's not just something to put on a bumper sticker or on a mug. It is the life, it is the future of the church and this church. Every Sunday throughout the year, God speaks here. God comes and He speaks and He feeds His people and He loves His children. He's here and He speaks and He reveals His power and glory and majesty and holiness and righteousness and beauty and truth and grace and love to us, His loved children. He just wants to love you. So He creates this to just pour His Word into your life so that you would live by it. Our God is good. Our Father is so good to us. From my heart to yours, I love being here with you, brothers and sisters. I love it. You know, part of my wrestling is that I don't get to spend enough time with each of you. That's hard to do with over 100 people. Um, and I feel that tension, but I love to be together with you. And, and I love to delight in God together, and I love to delight in His Word um, you know, and whether I'm preaching from here and whether I'm sitting where you are listening, like in the case of, of Casey or, or someone else, um, where I get to be where you get to be and take a breather sometimes, I cherish hearing the word with you, receiving that because God is feeding and God is loving. And so just wherever I go, I mean, Christine and I got to go to the conference and just sit. I didn't have to preach. I could just sit and listen to preaching and, and it, it comes alive and then you sing with each other and it's worship. It's wonderful and particularly wonderful on the Lord's Day, the gathering of his people, getting together every Sunday. You know, Christmas and Easter Christians are just missing so much. If they could, if they could only taste what we taste all year round, you know, you don't have to wait till next Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Do you know that we're meeting on Sundays because he raised on Sunday? This is Easter. I don't know if that makes I don't know. This is the Lord's day. He has risen. All right. Man, we don't have to wait to celebrate the birth and incarnation of Christ till Christmas. We celebrate the fullness of who Christ is now. That's what this is for, okay? So let's not put emphasis on Christmas and Easter. That's done, right? We can all say, oh, I believe the Bible. It's the Lord's Day, the preaching, 52 Sundays a year. I get to sit and just revel in the glory of God. You have to know what's going on here in order to track this. You have to, that's why deep theological messages like this are helpful to you. To help you know how to process this stuff. So all that to say, none of this is in the notes. I love being here with you. I love you. I want you to cherish his word. Um, I want you to help me cherish his word. Because just because I'm preaching it doesn't mean I got it. 
and doesn't mean that I cherish it as I should. I don't, folks. I do not. Don't read the intensity on Sundays as being Jonathan is just so holy and just loves his word. I do love his word, but I, I need the spirit to help aliven this word in me as I preach it and hear it and as you do too. So I just want to end right here. All glory be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that your son, Jesus Christ, who you sent from heaven to earth is the final and definitive word. He dropped the mic. And so God, I, I pray that we would cherish him and would understand that the scripture is a gift directly from him. He authorized it. He commissioned the apostles to get it down so that we, many years later, would understand it through preaching. And so, God, I just ask that you do a work of your grace and your spirit in Jerusalem church and each person that's here, that they would cherish your word and love it and understand what preaching is, understand why they should crack their Bibles through the week and strive and toil and sweat over the text because they can encounter you. And so, God, thank you for being faithful to, to work through your word and thank you for my dear brothers and sisters, and I pray that they treasure Christ and find in him their greatest joy and pleasure now and forever. In his name and for his glory we pray, amen.